loving pranams at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage. With prayers to Swami, let's begin this episode of the Gita series. We are in the middle of the seventh chapter. We are in that portion which is very important as we have spoken of in the introduction to the seventh chapter itself. It is in this part that Krishna specifically speaks about the nature of God and how to identify divinity in the phenomenal world that we exist in. That's the whole essence of this particular portion of the chapter and uh, it is going to be the case for a few subsequent chapters as well. We'll begin with a very short summary of what we covered last time. We covered two verses, verse number 10 and 11. But before we started those verses, we had a general discussion which is going to be relevant even today. The idea is, though God is in all creatures, in all beings, sentient and insentient, pursuing God in the pleasant and in the noble is one of the means to getting to know God as being a part and parcel of everything. Even though God is there in the good and the bad, that is the essence of the jnani's drishti, the samadrishti, the equal-minded vision is what Krishna spoke of as the quality of a jnani. So to get there, the means is to first start looking for God or start recognizing God and the first step is to recognize God in the pleasant and the noble. Right? And that is the short discussion which we had before we went into the shlokas and we will come back into that concept even today. The 11th shloka starts with a statement which I said has been quoted by Swami many many times in his discourses. The statement being Bijam Maam Sarvabhutanam I am the seed in all beings or I am the seed of all beings. We discussed what are the various layers of meaning this simple statement represents. When we look at a seed, a seed is unique to what is born and what is what grows from that particular seed. If you have a lemon seed, there is a particular tree which comes out of that. If you have a people seeds tree, there is one particular form, a particular structure that comes out of that particular seed. So every seed is unique in that sense. So when Krishna says that I am the seed in all beings, I am that uniqueness which leads to that entity being what it is. Another way of looking at it is a seed is also a representative of the knowledge of that whole process from germination to death. When we speak about 
plants and when we speak about human beings we speak of the fertilized egg as being the seed for that being so there is a process from the point of which life forms as that particular seed and culminates in the final dissolution of that being so when we look at a banyan tree seed that formation of a plant the sapling to a plant from the plant to a tree from a tree to a much larger tree this entire process is contained in that seed so when krishna says bijam maham sarvabhutanam it can also be spoken of as god representing that wisdom of that process too and he is that wisdom of all beings we also looked at swami's explanation whenever swami quotes this in his discourses that is also very relevant of course i am not here to judge or qualify what swami says we are here to accept it and because it's a very beautiful thing that swami says and something which is very practical and we have to keep in our mind swami says when you look at a tree there is a bark you know the leaves which are soft and tender there are flowers which have a different color the fruit has a different nature but all these different entities however different they may be in their form in their taste in their other qualities they all come from that single same seed so in the same way the people we encounter in our life the different beings that we encounter or even the objects that we see may be different in their forms in their names in their utilities in their qualities but we must remember that the seed for all of this is the lord himself the entire uh, statement in that shloka if we were to look at that the whole statement is bijam mam sarvabhutanam vidhi partha sanatanam nomi partha as the seed in all of these and as that sanatana the eternal seed the word sanatana has been specifically added in the statement because one might wonder if everything has a seed and the seed is the lord does the lord also have a seed and to clarify that point krishna says i am sanatana it is not that the lord too has a source but the lord is the source of everything he is the substratum is the adhara so that is why that uh, word sanatanam is specifically added in that particular line in the very next line krishna says buddhihi buddhimatam asmi i am the intelligence in the intelligent tejaha tejasvinam aham i am the splendor of the splendid this is in line with the other statements that krishna has been making in this in this particular chapter but as we discussed these two statements also have an important connotation to that these statements negate the cause or the source for any form of ego or pride there is no pride for a person who is intelligent who is brilliant who is strong who is talented because that intelligence that talents that tejas belongs to the lord and ego cannot lay claim to all of these so it is in a way that the ego is negated by these statements so this was the 10th uh, shloka and uh, coming to the 11th shloka krishna makes two very important statements and i would like to discuss that in little more detail i'm sorry i am going back to some of these shlokas and adding more to them i'm not completing it when i'm speaking of the shloka in the first time it's also because some of these things swami has spoken of in the gita vahini and other discourses and uh, 
it is best that we explore all of that even as we are either going through the shloka or we are going through the summary of the shloka and that is why the summaries in the past 2 3 weeks have become a little more elaborate than they should probably be so i seek your indulgence for that coming back to the 11th shloka krishna makes two very critical important statements and we discussed about it last time also but let me add a little more to that the statements are balam balavatam asmi kama raga vivarjitam that is one statement the second one is dharma aviruddho bhuteshu kamosmi that is the second statement the first statement is krishna saying i am the strength of the strong balam balavatam asmi but not any strength he refers to a specific kind of strength that balam which is free from kama and raga desire and attachment some you'd often say god created water but we polluted it god did not create pollution god created water we created water pollution god created a beautiful world and we have created a problematic world through our actions and through our choices in that way all strength is an expression of god but when we use that strength to secure what we desire and what we are attached to we begin to dilute that strength and that strength no more represents divinity when one's abilities are used without self interest and attachment then they are recognizable as being manifestations of the divine and that is the importance of the statement balam balavatam asmi kama raga vivarjitam so does that mean it is wrong to have desires because he says that that balam which is devoid of kama and raga so is kama wrong is it wrong to have desires i want to lead a comfortable life i want to provide a comfortable living to my family are such desires wrong is it wrong to use my skills and talents to satisfy a desire such as that krishna answers that in the very next statement when he says i am kama i am desire too in all beings that's what he says bhuteshu kamosmi i am the desire in all the kamas but again he qualifies that kama he says dharma aviruddha that which is not contrary to dharma or righteousness so it is not possible to wish away all desires but at least we can ensure that we use our strengths to pursue them without flouting dharma so when krishna says strength should be free of kama and raga and then he says i am kama there is a difference between these two kamas swami explains this in the gita vaini and i'll probably read out that quote directly swami says and i quote desire or kama means the desire to possess a thing that is so strong that even when there is no chance of securing it the mind hankers for it attachment or raga is the feeling that a thing must be in one's possession even though it is evident that it cannot be there for long for it is after all an evanescent thing any form of strength that is polluted by either of these two 
cannot claim the dignity of divinity end of quote a very succinct couple of statements that swami makes there so strength swami says must be free from desire which is irrational right it is not that strength and karma should never be together but strength should never be coupled with desire which is irrational that is why karma and raga is mentioned together the thought that i want it at any cost and the foolishness or obstinacy to obtain more pleasure from an impermanent possession is referred to as karma and raga as swami very beautifully explained that you desire something even when there is no chance of securing it through the moral means you still desire it you're holding on to something to draw more happiness than it can actually give you because it is by nature evanescent so these two are referred to as karma and raga in that statement another way of looking at this statement dharma aviruddha kamosmi is we all have that innate desire that is propelling us towards the dharmic path that desire that craving within which is propelling us towards the noble goals in life and higher and sublime things in life and this is the vedantic world view even the worst person that you can identify the worst of criminals the worst of people who are ready to do anything to fulfill their desires however you would describe a person as being somebody that totally undesirable and ungodly if i could put it that way even such a person will have an innate desire to become good and will have an inner desire to turn towards god's path however wrong one might be however one might have taken to the wrong path this desire always exists in the person and this is the vedantic view of each one of us right and that is why whenever swami would speak to us swami would address that pure aspect of us divyatma swarupalara or when he says prema swarupalara it was a reference to that divine aspect in us however it might be invisible to the people around us however the goodness in each one of us is invisible to me for swami that divinity was always visible in the form of this innate desire to move towards the right path right so in the midst of all our worldliness we will definitely have this certain pull towards god and that desire that kama which is dharma aviruddha is divine because the only mistake is even though we all have that spark even though we all have that craving we do not foster it right god as an avatar may be in the world swami is there swami is in prashanti nilayam but unless i turn to swami and unless i start making swami an important part in my life the fact that the avatar is in the world does not make any difference to me right similarly i might have that pure impulse in me but if i do not foster it if i do not act upon it if i do not make that the driving force of my life it doesn't matter it being there or not there right so the sum and substance of this entire section is god is in everything that you see and you interact with of course we are going to later in the same program refute this statement that god is in all but it, that's a different way of looking at it and different perspective that is also important we'll come to that but the sum and substance of this section is god is in everything in everybody in 
all aspects of creation. We experience Him within us and in others every single day. We see and benefit from Him in nature and all elements. Because as Krishna explained, I am the effulgence of the fire, I am the effulgence of the sun and moon. We benefit from all of these things. So we are constantly benefiting from the divine expression all around us. But in a certain way, we are blind to it. So Swami summarizes this portion by saying this in the Gita Vaini. I'll just quote that again. Swami says, Krishna said that even anger and greed that are not opposed to dharma are forms of expression of the divine. Therefore, why repeat it a thousand times? All feelings, all forms, all things and all beings are born of the higher para and the lower apara prakriti of the self-same divine essence. But to have higher feelings and emotions, you must accustom yourself to see my form in the higher feelings, higher forms and higher beings. Still, you must not get away with the idea that only the higher is divine and the lower is not. End of quote. So Swami explains so very beautifully the higher and the lower come from the self-same God. Para and Apara come from divinity. But only when the inner vision is saturated with jnana, one will have this sense or recognition that all of this is divine. right? So Swami says the path is higher feelings, higher emotions, looking at nobler people and recognizing God. But never once have this idea that God is only in them or God is only in these higher things or sublime feelings. He is in all, but he can be accessed by training the mind to recognize God in these subtler, higher, sublime feelings, individuals and emotions. So that is the summary of this part. And from the 12th, there's a little difference. The topic continues, but what Krishna says here is a little addition or a little step up from what he has been telling so far. So we listen to the 12th verse of the 7th chapter. As always, I am ever grateful to Brother Sham for rendering it so beautifully and clearly for us. We listen to the shloka in his voice. I'll give you a brief meaning of that shloka and then we'll discuss in detail what Krishna is explaining here. Ye chai vasatvika bhava Rajasastamasashchaye Matta evetitan vidhi Natvaham teshu temayi Whatever beings are there in the universe, whether they are of the sattva or of rajas or of tamas nature, be sure that they are from me. I am not in them, but they are in me. So that is the 12th verse of the 7th chapter. After completing that portion where Krishna says, I am this in the fire, I am that in the water, I am the pure strength, I am the purusham in the purusha, I am the intelligence in the intelligent, etc, etc, etc. A wrong signal could be taken that only some things in this creation are divine, as that quote I read out from Gita Vaini. Though right in the beginning of the chapter, 
that is what Krishna very categorically said. He said, from me, para and apara prakriti have come and everything in this creation are etadyoni, he says, or are all born of these two. So in that sense, everything came only from Krishna. Everything came only from the divine. But in this shloka, Krishna reiterates that once again through the concept of the gunas, the three gunas. So he says, ye chaiva bhava and indeed, whatever beings, sattvika, those of sattvic nature, rajasaha, tamasaha, chae, and those of rajasic and tamasic nature, mat yeveti tan vidhi, know that they are all indeed from me. The three gunas, we all, I'm sure, are familiar with them, most of us. And I'm, I'm sure I would have mentioned the three gunas in some context or the other, even in the Gita series already. Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. We speak about food, we speak about these qualities, we speak about actions, we speak about these qualities, we speak about thoughts, we speak about these qualities. The three gunas are the essential nature of Prakriti or Maya. God is attributeless. Right? In the beginning, God, I mean, not in the beginning, God is always attributeless. And through the process of creation of these three attributes or three gunas, the world, the attributeful world as we see it, has come to be. And we know these three gunas as sattva, rajas, and tamas. That is why Swami would often give this example that all three gunas bind. Right? The moment you say that the maya or prakriti is made of three gunas, all three gunas equally bind because maya binds. Even though we give a lot of importance to sattva guna, we say you should eat sattvic food, you should have sattvic thoughts, you should have a sattvic way of life. Even though we give a lot of importance to this one guna over the other two, Swami would say when rajas and tamas can be compared to a silver and iron chain, sattva is like a gold chain but chain nonetheless it also binds. So all three are aspects of the apara prakriti, the lower prakriti. But Swami would explain in his discourses that it is like three blades of a fan. When all these three blades are equal in size and weight and when this fan rotates, then it gives a pleasant breeze. Right? So till we are able to transcend the apara prakriti, till we are able to transcend these three gunas, we have to try and balance them. And it is not like when I say balance, there should be equal amount of sattva, rajas and tamas. Each one has its place, each one has its time and living life in that manner is what we refer to as a life of balance. Right? The idea is something like you know when you are cooking. Right? You need salt, you need dal, you need or whatever is the seasoning that you do. But each one has a separate quantity. Each one has a separate time in which it has to be added in what you are making in different times in the process of cooking. Right? So we are talking about an optimum proportion. So even though I am giving the example that Swami has given of the three blades of the fan, it doesn't mean that exactly equal weight of sattva, rajas and tamas. We are talking of a optimum balance of all three in our life. So when we talk about a human being, in the human case, you should have more sattva, a fair amount of rajas 
and as little as possible of tamas, right? So that is the kind of a balance that we're talking about. Different beings in creation or different objects have a different balance, right? And based on that balance, these beings are branded as being predominantly belonging to that quality. For instance, when we speak about a cow, we speak of a cow being sattvic. We speak of a tiger being rajasic. We speak of an animal like a fox being tamasic. This does not mean that the other qualities are not present in these animals. It is just that these stand out and so we define them based on these qualities. So in this shloka, Krishna is not talking about the gunas themselves. He does not say sattva, rajas and tamas. But those that fall into these categories of sattvika, rajasa and tamasa. Right? He is not talking about the gunas themselves. But based on the imbalance of these gunas, if you were to categorize beings and objects as falling into these three different categories, he is talking about them, sattvika, rajasa and tamasa. So this could mean different animals and beings, right? Or even different kinds of human beings who fall in these different categories. And Krishna says, all these different kinds of people, beings and objects come from me. Never for a moment forget this fact. That's why I said this is a reiteration of what Krishna said right in the beginning. Because after this portion where Krishna says, I am this and that, I am the good in this and I am the dharma, aviruddha bhala and all that. Don't forget that everything has actually come from me. right? When Swami explains this shloka in the Gita Vaini, Swami addresses a question that we all might get. right? If not, at some point we will get it and we have been talking about it. This is the theme that I discussed a little about last week also. If everything is God, then why discriminate between good and bad? More importantly, can I simply wash my hands off all the wrong that I do and say, after all, everything is prompted by God? When Krishna says the Sattvika, Rajasa and Tamasa, all three come from God, why can't I be Tamasic and say that it is inspired by God? Why can't I be selfish and say that oh, this is also inspired by God? Why can't I take to the wrong path and say that just like how God inspires a good man to be good, he is inspiring a bad man to be bad. This is a question that I think it is not wrong if it comes in our mind, right? I'm not saying that it's a good question to have and it's a good justification to hide behind. I'm saying that it does arise in a rational mind. Why should I be criticized for the wrongs that I do if everything is inspired by God? Swami says, the problem with us is we are not steady in that belief that everything is inspired by God. When we are successful, when we do good, when people come and praise us, our mind pounces and grabs that. But the moment we have any failure, when we have any wrongdoings, we want to attribute that to divine. So when Swami gives this explanation, you might not directly visualize yourself in this, right? Because by nature, I would say that an average good person will not think like this. But when Swami makes this statement that we want to take credit for the good, but when we, we want to attribute bad things to God, it is in a very subtle sense, right? What happens deep within the mind? 
every time there is a small exaltation within us when somebody comes and tells us that you're a good person or you're a very pleasant person or you're very talented right there is a very subtle exaltation which happens within us that is a sign that we are claiming that to be our own similarly there is you know when there's something wrong in us that happens and when we are reading this portion of the gita especially when you say that everything comes from god there is a sense that we want to get rid of this we don't want to associate ourselves with the mistakes in us we want to blame god for that blame probably might be a very strong word we want to attribute it to god and it is this that swami is referring to and swami says in gita vaini in one beautiful statement he says people swing from i to he like the pendulum of the clock this is sheer deceit it is hollow spiritual sham so swami is saying that as long as we swing from this idea that this is me oh no no this is swami right we all have that habit you know we do good and we attribute it to swami i'm not denying that at all we do seva and we say that no i am just an instrument it is swami is doing but nevertheless we swing between this idea that i am the doer and no he is the doer right so in the very next line to that statement that i i just mentioned swami says mind word and act all three must be filled with the belief that all is his play that is the genuine path it is a human frailty to separate things into good and evil end of quote so swami clearly states that we must be filled with that conviction that everything is his doing one aspect of that is the actions that come through us right whatever i am doing good and bad i should be able to wholeheartedly attribute it to god at all times in thought word and deed that sometimes might be a little easy but what becomes more difficult is doing that with others actions when someone is being rude to you when someone is being unfair to you can you at every moment believe with full conviction that he is not the doer or she is not the doer and it is coming from swami if we are able to be in that state swami says yes if nothing shakes this conviction then we transcend this human frailty of looking at things as good and bad this then good and bad have to be discriminated and has to be acted upon as i said it is not a very direct thing right when you look at it from a very rational point of view it it seems a bit unfair you're saying that everything is god then you're saying that no you discriminate this is good right as swami explained in the previous verse those actions that are done without karma and raga have to be seen as divine those desires that do not take us away from dharma have to be seen as divine and acceptable that discrimination has to be done so that we head towards this conviction that everything comes from god swami adds one more beautiful and important point he says sometimes it appears that even god discriminates from good and bad how true is that how many of us have looked at swami and said that yes swami also discriminates right swami speaks to somebody swami doesn't speak to somebody there must be some form of discrimination that swami is doing god comes down as narsimha avatar he brutally kills hiranyakashipu and then he very lovingly embraces the noble prahlada the evil one is killed the noble one is embraced so isn't god discriminating between good and bad krishna himself 
he has chosen the side of pandavas who are noble and he is fighting against the kauravas who are evil isn't god also discriminating between good and bad swami says sometimes it might appear that the lord also has that weakness that human frailty which swami spoke about as discriminating something as good and something as bad so swami says it might appear that the lord also has that weakness but it is a passing face a cloud that hides his glory and not a blemish that adheres to him truly speaking god swami doesn't discriminate at all when we look at it it looks like yes swami likes the good person swami doesn't like the good person god comes to protect the good god comes to punish the bad and god so has to be discriminating all the time but that is not the case at all when we consciously choose the good right when we speak about taking to the dharma aviruddha the path that is not against dharma we try to fulfill the desires which are not selfish so when we choose the good in that manner when the pandavas stuck to dharma whatever may be the repercussions what they were doing is they were choosing god over the world and krishna was responding to that in our everyday life when we choose to stick to the good path in spite of having to sacrifice sometimes in spite of having to let go of pleasures and advantages sometimes when we choose shreyas over prayas we are making a conscious decision to move towards god and when we take one step towards god swami takes 10 steps closer to us so in that sense god is not discriminating between good and bad god is only responding to the one who chooses him over the world it is we who superimpose this idea that god discriminates between good and bad swami says in one of his discourses you know he says that generally people think that god incarnates as an avatar to protect the good and punish the bad but that's not the case at all because god does not see difference between good and bad he is only drawn by the love of people right so in that sense this idea that god discriminates is not existent at all but when we discriminate when we discriminate between the right and wrong and we always choose the right we are in essence choosing to move closer to god and god responds to that and this is a very important thing in the next few weeks the shlokas that we're going to go through is going to be about this idea of choosing god over the world right coming back to the shloka the shloka is not it over there is another very important statement that krishna makes which in a sense also augments this discussion on good and bad god can be reached through goodness but god truly is beyond good and bad krishna says in that same shloka natu aham teshu but i am not in them te mai they are in me it's a slightly cryptic statement he says i am not in them they are in me this jog your memory about this shloka i think we had a long discussion about i've lost track about it krishna was saying that all beings which seem to be of different which fall under these different categories of the three gunas they all also come from me don't forget that i am the source for everything so that's what krishna says and then he ends with the statement natu aham teshu but i am not in them they mai they are in me 
till now krishna was saying i am this in water i am that in the intelligent person i am this in man and so on now all of a sudden krishna is saying i am not in them they are in me but i am not in them one thing is we are talking about various beings that can be categorized as satvika rajasa and tamasa so these all form part of apara prakriti and krishna says they are in me i am not in them the relationship between the apara and para as we've been discussing so far is the relationship between the swarupa and the swabhava the true essential form and the expression of that essence in that sense this statement is that all apara prakriti is a certain name form version of the para prakriti the lord who is para is not dependent on the prakriti for his existence but the prakriti or nature which is made of these trigunas is dependent on god so when krishna says i am not in them they are in me it means i am not dependent on them but they all are dependent on me the classic example that is always given in this is the relationship between the pot and the clay or the many pots and clay if you look at some of the archaeological evidence for ancient civilizations you know one of the artifacts that the explorers look for is pottery because that's a sign that people have started fashioning something out of the earth which is available around the clay which is available around right one of the earliest artifact in that sense is pots which are 18 to 20000 years old right so human civilization have started fashioning pots out of clay as early as 20000 years ago but now if you look at the age of the planet when did the planet get to be formed the age of planet earth is 4 billion years ago which means 4 billion years ago what we refer to as clay was formed but human beings have started making pots only 20000 years ago even in the absence of pots clays existed and the clays existed for over 3 billion years i mean almost 4 billion years so clay was never dependent on the pots clay existed even much before human beings were were born and human beings came to the state of intelligence where they were able to make clay much much before that clay existed so clay was never dependent on the pots but every pot which came thereafter don't tell me that there are some ceramic pots and i mean i hope you're getting the drift of what i'm saying so every pot that came thereafter it may be of a different size it may be of a different shape it might be beautiful it might be crude it might be symmetric it might be shapeless it might be ornate it might be useful it might be broken they all have formed from this clay so that is the essence of the statement that krishna is making natu aham teshu te mai the lord doesn't depend on the creation the creation depends on the lord if you remove the name and the form of the pot the clay is still there the name and the form is still there but still the clay is still there but if you remove the clay there can be no pot at all so even though this entire section krishna spoke of how god is present in everything that is only to convey the idea that all that we see is fashioned from the same divine 
if i say there is clay in the pot i will not be wrong technically it is not wrong but the truth is what we refer to as a pot is a very brief name form existence in the continuum that clay is i'll repeat that when we say that there is clay in the pot we are not wrong because that is the truth but really speaking if you look at what clay is clay is a continuum and what we refer to as pot is a brief period for which this clay assumes a name and form but the clay is clay and it has always been that way similarly the wave is formed with the same ocean water but if i say that the ocean is in the wave it is not right the waves are in the ocean and that's more relatable because we are seeing the ocean as being a huge mass of water and these waves for a very brief time form and subsist and uh, dissolve right so the ocean is not the wave swami says in the gita vaini it is truer to say that all is brahman than to say brahman is in everything it is grander to picture brahman as the basis of all the sarvadhara rather than to conceive it as the inner reality of all beings that is the truth so in that two lines swami summarizes this whole idea yes you are everything that we experience in the five elements in the world in the beings they all are divine but a little advancing of that whole idea is don't look at god as being in everything the higher understanding of that is everything is fashioned from god everything is like the waves that are formed in the ocean right and that is a little higher understanding of seeing of seeing the relationship between god and creation so i hope the drift of the whole idea is coming into picture now when krishna is speaking about what is the nature of god and one of the things that he said is the whole creation has come from god right para prakriti and apara prakriti and then he started saying how you can recognize god in different beings as different attributes but then he is saying that a higher understanding is to know that god is like the basis the sarvadhara and everything else is a brief appearance on this constant continuum that name and form for a brief period it appears and it goes and what appears for a brief period and goes that will introduce the next concept which is the concept of maya the concept of delusion it is not there at all it appears like it is there what is there for a very brief time can well be considered as not being there at all right so that is the next concept which will be introduced the idea of illusion but i think we will touch upon that in the next shloka but we will speak more about that in the subsequent shlokas so we'll go to the next shloka the 13th shloka and we will listen to what uh, krishna says there and we'll discuss about that before we conclude this week's episode tribhir gunamayair bhavaihi e bhisarvam idan jagat मोहितं ऑल दिस वर्ल्ड डेल्यूडेड एस इट इज बाय दीज थ्री थिंग्स मेड ऑफ द गुनास डस नॉट नो मी 
who am transcendental to these and undecaying. So that's the 13th verse of the 7th chapter. How is it even possible that we are not able to recognize the Lord who is in everything? How is it possible that I go to the beach, I see the wave, but I have not seen the ocean? Really, how weird it will be that I come back after a trip to the beach and say that, you know, I saw so many waves, but where is the ocean? How is it possible that we don't recognize something that is so obvious in front of us? So Krishna will be answering this question in the next few verses. What makes us miss the Lord and what should we do to recognize the Lord? Because we have been talking about that even in the past few verses. But a little more concreteness is going to be given to this concept that we've been speaking about. In this particular verse, Krishna makes the observation that we are not able to recognize the Lord. The solution comes in the next few shlokas, but here he says that we are not able to recognize the Lord. He uses a complex word to describe the reason. Let me try and pronounce that. He says, Tribhir Gunamayair Bhavair Rebehi. That's one word. It's often written as one complex word. And Krishna says, the whole world is this. Tribhir Gunamayair Bhavair Rebehi Sarvamidam Jagat Mohitam. So, Sarvamidam Jagat Mohita means this entire world is deluded and it is deluded by that complex word that I just managed to read out. So, splitting that complex word, it becomes Tribihi, Gunamayaihi, Bhavaihi, Yebihi. Yebihi means all of this. Tribihi, Gunamayaihi, Bhavaihi means all this are of the nature which are modifications of these three gunas. So we all are deluded by this world which is a modification of these gunas. That is what Krishna is saying here. Na abhijanati maam Being deluded this way Na abhijanati maam They do not recognize me Ebhya param avyayam as I am beyond all this and I am immutable. In the meaning when I read out, I said non-decaying, but avyayam is not merely decay, it is immutable, it is beyond all change. Why is it that the world, being a modification of the three gunas itself, is a cause for delusion and we not being able to recognize God in creation? The Lord is, as Krishna mentions in the shloka, Ebyaha param avyayam. He is beyond all this and he is avyayam. This word we have come across even in the second chapter. And when we discussed this word even in the second chapter, I made a mention of the Shad Vikaras. Everything that we see in this world, which has a name and form, which is part of the Prakriti, is subject to Shad Vikaras or six types of change. The Shad Vikaras are Asti, Existence, Jayate, Birth, Vardate, Growth, Vipari Namate, Undergoes Alteration, Apakshiyate, Withers with Age, Vinashyati, Eventually Dies. So every object in the world which is part of the Apara Prakriti, which is 
ತ್ರಿಭಿ ಗುಣಮಯೈ ಭಾವೈ ಫಾರ್ಮ್ಡ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಥ್ರೀ ಗುಣಾಸ್ ಆರ್ ಸಬ್ಜೆಕ್ಟ್ ಟು ದೀಸ್ ಸಿಕ್ಸ್ ಚೇಂಜಸ್ ಆರ್ ಷಡ್ ವಿಕಾರಾಸ್ ಬಟ್ ಗಾಡ್ ಇಸ್ ಬಿಯಾಂಡ್ ದೀಸ್ ಥ್ರೀ ಗುಣಾಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದೀಸ್ ಚೇಂಜಸ್ ದಟ್ಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಸೆಟ್ ದೆರ್ ದಟ್ ಐ ಆಮ್ ಅವ್ಯಯಂ ಪರಾಮ್ ಅವ್ಯಯಂ ಐ ಆಮ್ ಬಿಯಾಂಡ್ ಆಲ್ ದಿಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಐ ಆಮ್ ಅವ್ಯಯಂ ಎವ್ರಿ ಆಬ್ಜೆಕ್ಟ್ ಇನ್ ದ ವರ್ಲ್ಡ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಪಾರ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ದೀಸ್ ಅಪರಾ ಪ್ರಕೃತಿ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ದ ಸಬ್ಜೆಕ್ಟ್ ಟು ದೀಸ್ ಥ್ರೀ ಗುಣಾಸ್ ಅಲಾಂಗ್ ವಿತ್ ದಿಸ್ ಕಮ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ಟು ದ ಪಿಕ್ಚರ್ ದಿ ಐಡಿಯಾಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಬೀಯಿಂಗ್ ಪ್ಲೆಸೆಂಟ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಬೀಯಿಂಗ್ ಅನ್ಪ್ಲೆಸೆಂಟ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಬೀಯಿಂಗ್ ಲೈಕಬಲ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಬೀಯಿಂಗ್ ಡಿಸ್ಲೈಕಬಲ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ದ ಮೋಮೆಂಟ್ ಯು ಇಂಟ್ರೊಡ್ಯೂಸ್ ಗುಣಾಸ್ ಸತ್ವ ರಜಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ತಮಸ್ ದೀಸ್ ವೇ ಆಫ್ ರಿಲೇಟಿಂಗ್ ಟು ದೋಸ್ ಆಬ್ಜೆಕ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಆಲ್ಸೋ ಕಮ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಇಸ್ ಪ್ಲೆಸೆಂಟ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಇಸ್ ಮೋರ್ ಡಿಸೈರಬಲ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಐ ಡೋಂಟ್ ವಾಂಟ್ ಟು ಗೋ ನಿಯರ್ ಸೊ ವಿತ್ ಚೇಂಜ್ ಇನ್ ನೇಮ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಫಾರ್ಮ್ ವಿತ್ ಚೇಂಜ್ ಇನ್ ಕ್ವಾಲಿಟೀಸ್ ವಿ ಆಲ್ಸೋ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪೀರಿಯನ್ಸ್ ಚೇಂಜ್ ಇನ್ ಇಮೋಷನ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಫೀಲಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಒನ್ಸ್ ಇಮೋಷನ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಫೀಲಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಕಮ್ ಇನ್ ಟು ಪ್ಲೇ ವಿ ಗೆಟ್ ಎಂಗೇಜ್ಡ್ ಆರ್ ಇಂಟ್ಯಾಂಗಲ್ಡ್ ಇನ್ ದಿಸ್ ತ್ರಿಗುಣ ವರ್ಲ್ಡ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವೆನ್ ಲೈಕ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಡಿಸ್ಲೈಕ್ಸ್ ಅರೈಸ್ ಆಟೋಮ್ಯಾಟಿಕ್ಲಿ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಸೆಟ್ ಇನ್ ಟು ದಿಸ್ ರೇಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಯೋಗ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಕ್ಷೇಮ ಯು ನೋ ಐ ವಾಂಟ್ ಟು ಗೆಟ್ ದಿಸ್ ಐ ವಾಂಟ್ ಟು ಅವಾಯ್ಡ್ ದಿಸ್ ಐ ವಾಂಟ್ ಟು ಸೆಕ್ಯೂರ್ ದಿಸ್ ಐ ವಾಂಟ್ ಟು ಸ್ಪೆಂಡ್ ಮೋರ್ ಟೈಮ್ ವಿತ್ ದಿಸ್ ಪರ್ಸನ್ ಐ ವಾಂಟ್ ಟು ಅವಾಯ್ಡ್ ದಿಸ್ ಪರ್ಸನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದಿಸ್ ಹೋಲ್ ಪ್ರೋಸೆಸ್ ಇಸ್ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೀಮ್ಲಿ ಎಂಗೇಜಿಂಗ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಮೋರ್ ದೆನ್ ದ್ಯಾಟ್ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೀಮ್ಲಿ ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಾಕ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ಬೀಯಿಂಗ್ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಇನ್ ದಿಸ್ ಮಾಯಾ ವಿ ಫ್ರಿಗೆಟ್ ಟು ಲುಕ್ ಬಿಯಾಂಡ್ ದಿ ಚೇಂಜಿಂಗ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಲುಕ್ ಫಾರ್ ದಿ ಅನ್ಚೇಂಜಿಂಗ್ ಬೇಸಿಸ್ ದಿ ಅನ್ಚೇಂಜಿಂಗ್ ಲಾಡ್ ದಿಸ್ ಇಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ಕಾಸಸ್ ದಿ ಫಾಲ್ಟಿ ವಿಷನ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ಆಫ್ ವಿಚ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ನಾಟ್ ಏಬಲ್ ಟು ರೆಕಗ್ನೈಸ್ ದ ಲಾಡ್ ಈವನ್ ದೋ ಹಿ ಇಸ್ ರೈಟ್ ಬಿಫೋರ್ ಆಸ್ ಹಿ ಇಸ್ ಸಫ್ಯೂಸಿಂಗ್ ದಿಸ್ ಎಂಟೈಯರ್ ಕ್ರಿಯೇಷನ್ ಬಟ್ ವಿ ಸ್ಟಿಲ್ ಮಿಸ್ ಹಿಮ್ ರೈಟ್ ಐ ವಿಲ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ರಿಪೀಟ್ ದ್ಯಾಟ್ ಹೋಲ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ ದಟ್ ಐ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಮೆನ್ಷನ್ಡ್ ದಿಸ್ ಎಂಟೈಯರ್ ವರ್ಲ್ಡ್ ಇಸ್ ಮೇಡ್ ಔಟ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ತ್ರೀ ಗುಣಾಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವೆನ್ ವಿ ಸೇ ತ್ರೀ ಗುಣಾಸ್ ಇಟ್ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ದಟ್ ಸಮ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ಮೋರ್ ಎಕ್ಸೈಟಿಂಗ್ ಸಮ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ಮೋರ್ ಲೈಕಬಲ್ ಸೊ ದಿ ಕಾನ್ಸೆಪ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ರಾಗ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ್ವೇಷ ಕಮ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ಟು ಪಿಕ್ಚರ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವೆನ್ ರಾಗ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ್ವೇಷ ದೀಸ್ ಇಮೋಷನ್ಸ್ ಕಮ್ ಇನ್ ಟು ಪಿಕ್ಚರ್ ದೆನ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಸೆಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಆನ್ ಅ ರೇಸ್ ಟು ಸೆಕ್ಯೂರ್ ಸಮ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ ದಟ್ ವಿ ಲೈಕ್ ಕೀಪ್ ಅವೇ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಸಮ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ ದಟ್ ವಿ ಡೋಂಟ್ ವಾಂಟ್ ಸಮ್ ಪೀಪಲ್ ಹೂ ಬಿಕಮ್ ಡಿಯರ್ ಟು ಅಸ್ ಸಮ್ ಪೀಪಲ್ ಹೂ ಬಿಕಮ್ ಅನ್ವಾಂಟೆಡ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಆಲ್ ದಿಸ್ ಮೇಕ್ಸ್ ಅಸ್ ಗೆಟ್ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಇನ್ ದಿಸ್ ವರ್ಲ್ಡ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಇಟ್ ಆಕ್ಯುಪೈಸ್ ಆಲ್ ಅ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಸ್ಪೇಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವೆನ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಸೋ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಇನ್ ದಿಸ್ ಚೇಂಜಿಂಗ್ ವರ್ಲ್ಡ್ ವಿ ಗೆಟ್ ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಾಕ್ಟೆಡ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವಿ ಡೋಂಟ್ ಲುಕ್ ಬಿಯಾಂಡ್ ದ ಚೇಂಜಿಂಗ್ ಟು ಲುಕ್ ಫಾರ್ ದಿ ಅನ್ಚೇಂಜಿಂಗ್ ಲಾಡ್ ಹೂ ಇಸ್ ಪರಮ್ ಅವ್ಯಯಂ ಆ್ಯಕ್ಚುಲಿ ಇನ್ ದಿಸ್ ಪೋರ್ಷನ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಗೀತಾ ದೆರ್ ಇಸ್ no doubt being raised by arjuna right it's a continuous discourse by krishna but in swami's gita vaini swami clearly says that at this point actually arjuna raises a doubt and the doubt that he asks is what is the source of this faulty vision why is it that i am not able to see god right and swami explains just what i explained in the past couple of minutes in the gita vaini in the form of this quote swami says for this question on faulty vision krishna had the answer he said listen arjuna between
head over heels in a trice. Arjuna, do not take Maya to mean some ugly thing that has descended from somewhere else. It is an attribute of the mind. It makes you ignore the true and the eternal highest Atma and value instead the attributeful, created, manifold multiplicity of name and form. It causes the error of believing the body to be the self instead of being merely the embodied. Delusion or Maya is not something that was and will disappear, nor it is something that was not but later came in and is. It never was or is or will be. End of quote. So in that manner, Swami introduces the concept of Maya. As I said, that is the next level of understanding that Krishna is raising this discussion to. And we will talk about it when uh, we come to that point where Krishna is going to speak extensively about Maya. But one statement that Swami makes here is very clear. Swami says, Maya is also my creation. Maya is also under my control. But when you read this passage, one question that always comes to our mind it comes to my mind, it comes to many listeners' mind. Many listeners have written to me asking this very question. What is the whole idea? Why did God create duality? Why did God create delusion in the form of Maya? And why is he challenging us to overcome this Maya? Because very clearly Swami says, I created this Maya. And it is because of this Maya that you are being lost. So then, why this whole play? Why create something and then challenge us? In a sense, I mean, if you, in an unenlightened way, if you look at this whole thing, it makes you feel that God is actually a little sadistic. That is creating all this trouble. He's sitting there and he's, you know, having a ball of a time looking at us get entangled in this Maya. Is that the case? Why does God do all this? Is there an answer to this question? Why this creation at all? I don't have enough time to dwell into that. I'll probably answer that question as we begin the next episode. I'm not saying that I have the answer. I'm not saying that. I'm going to give you an answer which I gave myself when I came up with this question. It is not an answer that is going to completely put to rest all questions that arise in mind. No answer should be that. That answer will come only from within. And so I will just give a little bit of a description of that. Why to this question? Why creation at all? Why the separation? And why this challenge to go beyond the separation? But we'll do that next week because Krishna is going to speak more about Maya. Krishna is also going to give the tip as to how do you go beyond the Maya too. right? But the question of why the Maya at all? Why the separation at all? Why creation at all? We will start next episode with a very brief discussion on this particular question. So with that, I'll conclude this week's episode, dear listeners. Thank you for joining me. Till I meet you all next week for the continuation of the Gita series, A Triumph Pilgrimage. Take care of yourself. Keep safe. I most humbly offer this entire effort at Swami's lotus feet. Thank you. Jai Sairam.